Manx Radio's Countryside is brought to you by NFU Mutual. Hello and welcome to this week's Countryside programme here on Manx Radio. I'm Simon Clark. And I'm Kiri Kermud. I popped along to see the general manager of the Currocks Wildlife Park, Kathleen Graham. And I talk about the Currock and wildflowers with John Doug Collister, plus it's sheep shearing season. Well, you'll be uh, in the thick of it now. The weather's truly warmed up, uh, Kiri, hasn't it? Later in the programme, we're talking about the flowers, which struggled a bit um, with the weather that was. It was a bit hit and miss for a while. Also, we'll find out what's happening at the Wildlife Park. But um, you'll be thick in the middle of getting the wool off the sheep, are you? It has. It's come round really suddenly this time, Simon. It was so bitterly cold there, and we were looking at the temperatures, especially at night time. Uh, the shock of shearing sheep can actually... Uh, tip them over the edge in the very cold nights can actually see them off so is, that, is, that, is that a big thing that farmers have to watch and just monitor the weather and the temperatures before they shear them oh absolutely yeah it's absolutely vital that the weather at night time isn't too cool because uh, the shock from it will kill them and um, shearing this year is a whole month behind but we've just been waiting for the evening temperature to rise and which it has on this uh, fine bank holiday weekend we've just had um, lots of shearers out and about uh, getting the wool off and um, yeah some saying there's a bit of fly strike as well so uh all hands to the deck yeah just in time then well i popped along to one of the young farmers first events of the sheep shearing world anyway the northern young farmers held their event at ballastine farm in jerby i caught up with the chairman jacob duggan also to michael taggart and gordon who were doing some hand shearing but first of all i sort of got straight in the action with michael kelly you're in the middle of shearing the sheep here now so we get a bit of action going um, racing through this top bit here, but is it is it where you start that makes the difference? Um, yeah, there's a there's a there's a way of doing it, and you've got to really stick by that way of doing it. And that's that, that been the same way over many years now, or has nobody developed a new way? I don't know, Charles. It's a, I've only ever known the Bowen style, and that's that's it, really. So, so where did they start on these ones? Is it round the tummy. Ah, uh, you start by opening the belly and then go into the back, into the back, left leg. And that's another one done. So that, that hasn't took very long, though, to, to get that one done. No, no, it doesn't take long if the sheep are good and ready, kind of thing. What about the the conditions or the, the type of sheep? Does that make a difference to how quick you can do them? Yeah, sheep like these are pretty easy, but you get, um, like, a dorset or... Um, like a Ryland, something like that, they can be tough. You've got to go in around the eyes and around the legs. You've got to go in around the legs, the eyes. Wool from the nose to the oh, right. to the feet. Yeah. But how, how many of, will you have to do in a in a season? Good question, it'll be a few thousand anyway. Would it? Yeah, right. just just of your own or contracted for other people too? Your own and contracted. Yeah. Kind of thing. And it's, uh, as Dennis Duggan was telling me there, there was one thing you needed for... Uh, to be a good sheep shearer was a, was a strong back and a weak mind. <laughs> yeah, you can say that. <laughs> but it's tough going, isn't it? Oh, definitely, definitely. But uh, the, the weather's just warmed up, so I suppose the sheep will be glad of uh, getting the coats off them. Yeah, it's time to be getting on with it now, getting pushed on, getting them done. Yeah, well, well, great to watch it, so I'll let you crack on and do a bit okay, of work. thank you. Michael Taggart. Yeah. Oh, yes, I'm a- yes, we're in a bit of a... Uh, an older tradition here. Yeah, we're clipping with the, what the, the Manx, Manx would call the Jouchers. Um, 
uh, and this would be the way that the clipping would be done 40 50 years ago but it's still done a lot of uh, what they call in the world as blade shearing in the world now but in south africa and all where they have no power in the in the areas where the sheep are so there's still a lot of blade shearing done now and it's good to keep the tradition going yeah well you we're you keep a close eye on a bit of an apprentice you got with you. Yeah, it's his first time. He's never clipped a sheep before in his life, so he's having a go at it. So it's good to get uh, a, a new will and victim to do a bit of shearing. So. And uh, he's awful worried he was going to cut it, but I said, as long as we keep the skin tight, you'll be right enough. And it's the same sort of principle when you're clipping with the proper, the modern shears, isn't it? You keep it is, everything yeah. tight. Yeah, yeah, but it's a lot faster sort of thing, isn't it, with the, with the modern shears. Um, uh, if you watch on the YouTube and all, you'll see them, and they're shearing like lambs in 18 seconds as a world record. 18 seconds to clip a sheep is just unreal, like. <laughs> and that, most of them uh, champions, I suppose, are out in New Zealand and places like that. Are they the actual it, world thousands. Of... Yeah, well, the world record holder at the minute is um, an Irish lad. Really? Yeah, he's from Ireland, from Southern Ireland, I think it is. But, but a lot of the um, even the Manx people have headed out to these. Um, across the other to the southern hemisphere to to do uh, seasons doing the sheep. Oh yeah, selling. there's uh, Richard Martin and Aaron Kerm uh, Aaron Kerfey. They were all out in New Zealand. Pip Kermode, past past Ireland champion. Kate Creer, she was one of the top well one of the top shearers in the world for women. And her son's now clipping here today. We're hoping young Daniel. He's in the room here. Today, well, in the shed here today. So. Yes, it's good, but we've had all the world record holders here. We had Jimmy Clark, who's married to um, uh, one of the Comishes from down south, and Jimmy was shearing five, six hundred in a day, every day. So world records, and then you got Magnum, as he was always known. Um, Paul Rutherford, he's married to Brenda Crow from Foxdale, a big world shearer as well, and they shore in in a team. So for, for such a small place, we've got a, quite a good pedigree of Oh, yeah, really. yeah. And James Rackliffe, he's really good to sort of get people to go to the World Championships in the, in the world. Um, he's, he's had uh, Daniel Creer go to uh, France to clip. Yeah, so, yeah. But in the world, it's a, it's a hard job to get shearers now. I was only looking on the internet there and Australia and New Zealand. They're all finding it very difficult to get a shearer to come. Trying my best here. <laughs> well, Gordon, uh, you're having a go here. How are you finding it so far? Um, it's it's difficult. I'm just worried in case I, I don't hurt the sheep, really. Yeah. Um, to be honest with you, but um, it's a great experience and it's brilliant to be here. Yeah, and it'd be great to watch these professional guys, you know, <laughs> cut the sheep and maybe get some hints and tips for for my son's sheep that he has. Yeah, well, let's hope pepper. they don't cut the sheep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, you just, if you just go in a little bit tighter along there and clip underneath. Underneath, it's a little bit difficult at the moment. Yeah, I'm just scared in case I hurt the sheep. Yeah, but I suppose the 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 more challenging will be when you have to hold the sheep as well as clip it, Gordon. Yeah, I mean they are big animals, um, and you've obviously just got to make sure that they're okay and they're comfortable. Um, but yes, it is a different experience for me, and it's it's great to be a part of it actually, and it's great to see how the professional guys are actually doing it. <laughs> And I, I do like the fact that they're using the traditional methods, which is quite good. I'm, I'm quite old school myself, and it's it's good to see this, this getting done. 
Yeah, be handy enough to take them to the barbers. I don't know what they think of that. <laughs> I think I might get my hair cut next, actually. <laughs> you're lucky you got some to cut. Let's get a, a word with the chairman of the Northern Young Farmers, Jacob Duggan. Uh, it's uh, the perfect day for it, really. Yeah, well, it is and it isn't, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't got many farmers here because everyone's busy shearing their own sheep and doing silage and bits like that. But it's nice to see people that we wouldn't normally see here at these Young Farmers events, really. I suppose that's a good thing in a way because the, the people, if there was not many, if people had finished their shearing and stuff, they'd be here and they'd know what was happening. Where a lot of the younger ones that are here watching, won't, many won't have seen it done like this before, especially the old land shear way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's nice to see so many unfamiliar faces, really, and you know, getting the public perception up about farming and you know that we're caring for our animals and bits like that. You know, so it's very good to see. And it's come at a perfect time, isn't it? Because it's been a bit of a cold spell. It's pretty warm out the last couple of days, and it's just time to get the, the wool off them, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, it has been very cold at night recently, and you know now that's wet. Now the weather is warming up. Yeah, it's definitely good to get the wool off, and they'll feel a lot better for it as well. And one perception, I suppose, is that uh, some will look and never seen it done before and think, oh, the, you're pulling the sheep round and you're, cut, you're cutting the wool off them. But they, they never survive in the summers with the full coats of wool on, would they? No, no, absolutely not, no. Especially once you get um, blowfly and bits like that, you know, the sheep have got no chance, so it's definitely, definitely good to get them clipped. And what about, um, the, usually you see a, a stack of girls learning how to, to wrap the fleeces when the boys have threw them down as well? Yeah, that's usually the, the shearer's missus is usually the wrapper, <laughs> isn't she? Yeah, no, it's good, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get some wrapping demonstrations on in a minute and yeah, show everyone how to do it. Because that's, you know, there's a, there's a certain way, as, as Michael uh, Kelly says, uh, to, to do the sheep, you know, where you start, when you finish, and, and the Bowen style he was using there. But there's a certain way of, of wrapping the fleeces, there's an art to that as well, because people won't remember, a lot of people won't remember the big wool bags, and as kids we used to sit on them and play yeah. on them, it was like being on a cloud of cotton wool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, um, yeah, as you can see, Gordon's just here, just wrapping, learning how to wrap this fleece neatly now. It's, uh, yeah, I don't think it's as important nowadays as it used to be to wrap the fleeces tight, but it's still definitely needed, and yeah, it's a, it is an art, as yeah. well as shearing, it's wrapping the fleece is an art as well. Where will the, uh, well, will the wool head off to eventually? I don't honestly know, it'll head to St John's, won't it, to wool mills to, to be sorted and then shipped away, but yeah, wool isn't very worth very much at the minute, so it's, uh, yeah... There's a lot of people just not bothering with it at the minute. But. It must be great to have an outdoor young farmers event, though. It is, yeah. We're very lucky over here at the minute. You know, when you see the likes of England and how they're still in different stages of lockdown and all, we're, we're extremely lucky here, really. The chairman of the Northern Young Farmers, Jacob Duggan, before that we had Gordon, and also uh, Michael Taggart with their hand shearing, and then uh, Michael Kelly uh, on the stage there. It was a, it was a bit worrying there with the sheep moving around, me trying to get in on the word. He did well to to chat and cut uh, shear the sheep at the same time. <laughs> Multitasking. <laughs> He's a good lad, Michael. And those boys will be busy uh, taking orders now for sheep shearing around the Isle of Man. But what a great uh, spectacle it is to see the hand shearing, you know, from yesteryear and how much work goes into it. But uh, they can do it equally as well as the uh, modern-day electric machines, though, can't they? Yeah, a little bit slower, that's all, though, but uh, thousands to do, so it's incredible. And the uh, the success and talent that we've got on the Isle of Man is, is 
quite unusual for a small place, isn't it? Where, you know, there's been some very good shearers in the past and I've done a lot of work over in the, the Southern Hemisphere. That's right. We always heavily rely on the Southern Hemisphere to come and help out. But this pandemic has uh, really focused some of maybe our younger farmers into a task that um, they may have shied away from or thought, oh, the professional ones will be better than me. They've really stepped up to the challenge. There's a lot of good local shearers here now. And still there's plenty of coaches if there's anyone looking to learn. Um, you know, just give any of the farmers a, a, a call and, you know, have a go isn't it but it's so important that we take the wool off the sheep at this time of year it is for welfare um, there's no money to be made in, in the wool absolute rubbish as you were saying <laughs> so uh, no so vitally important uh, we, we get on with it indeed well um, you took a trip to speak to the general manager of the Curragh Wildlife Park Yes, Kathleen Graham, a very busy lady and very hard to get hold of at times. And uh, there in the Australian aviary, um, with the sound of all those Australian birds, with the heat from the weekend, did make you feel like you're abroad. I caught up with Kathleen to see how the park has been going. Well, Kathleen, we're here back at the Wildlife Park and what a year we've had. It's just been indescribable. How was the park fettle compared to, I believe in the news, some of the zoos away were really struggling? Um, we have been lucky I guess we've certainly uh, re-evaluated things I think 2020 and this whole pandemic has made us all re-evaluate things and um, we were grateful that the Isle of Man government you know has dealt so well with this pandemic and it has allowed us to be open more than a lot of the zoos in the UK and we're very fortunate that we're well supported by locals um, in fact, membership has really sort of went through the roof. I guess everybody figured they weren't going anywhere <laughs> on holiday, so they might as well join up and become a member and they've realised, you know, what value they get out of that. And here today, Kathleen, you say that it is looking absolutely stunning. I know it's, it's always a nice time of year anyway, but so much has been done in this wildlife park. Well, we're getting there. You know, we're always working hard. Um, we've got our new Australian aviary. That's the, the newest um, exhibit. Um, we've got our five galahs have moved over from their old enclosure into there, but they're now also sharing that enclosure with Sebastian, the sulphur-crested cockatoo. And um, we've got six... Uh, crested Australian pigeons in there so it's quite a nice exhibit and it gives them a lot more flight space than they ever had before um, we've got plans, they always seem to take a bit longer than what you think but we've got plans <laughs> for, for other new new enclosures and improvements and I think it's just nice to see a lot of the animals um, you know, grow and thrive um, we've not got as many breeding plans for this year that's interesting because your breeding plans are always successful, seemingly. Yeah, I mean, 2020, when we were locked down, we had really a baby boom. We had 10 penguin chicks. Um, we had our gibbon born last year. We had red pandas born. We had meerkats. Um, we had lemurs, ringtail lemurs. So lots of births. But this year, we've kind of had to put a bit of a hold on things. Um, a lot of people don't realise that it's not always about breeding, breeding, breeding. It's managed genetics and the stud bookkeeper really needs to take into account how many you've already bred, how many are related. So our ringtail lemur group is now halted and we've stopped breeding. So they're at a nice size. The stud bookkeeper for red pandas didn't give us a breeding recommendation this year. So no red panda babies oh, this year. Goodness. 
Um, and our penguin chicks, a lot of people will have saw that 14, the, the, the last two years, penguin chicks went off to Northern Ireland. So this year, we have bred just a few more, but we had to take one or two eggs away, you know, yeah, yeah, um, keep, it to, to keep it under control. So we've got um, three penguin chicks this year. So that's just a nice number. We'll keep the, them, you know, to keep keep the, the, the age span throughout the group. So not a huge amount of breeding this year, but um, it, we, well, we're standing here watching Ailey aren't we she's great so I mean she's still a baby really she's under a year old uh, and Gibbons being primates they're like us they spend you know a long time looking after their young so uh, Finlow is here and he'll be here for at least another four years in the family group and we've now got little Aileen as well who's who's still um, very cute very very cute and I remember coming to visit you Kathleen when Finlow was hanging from the rafters in the enclosure and today we're watching little Aileen on the rope above the water there no fear but just in her element isn't she she's just gorgeous yeah, it's it's great. And being so well supported by locals here means that our conservation fund has really been able to grow. And that's really important because some zoos in the UK have actually had to maybe cut back some of their conservation commitments as they've struggled to survive. Um, whereas we've been really fortunate that when you come in now, or, or if you're a member, there's a voluntary donation included that you can opt out of. It is voluntary. You can say, I don't. Uh, can I opt out? Um, but most people, vast majority, haven't been opting out. And that means that our conservation fund this year is really growing. So we're going to be able to help tapirs in the Pantanal. Gosh, That's wow. um, There's a really great conservationist who work, does a lot of work with zoos. He's worked out there for years. He does fantastic work with tapirs and other species in the Pantanal. So that's a project that we're supporting this year. We're also looking at supporting um, golden lion tamarins, a yellow fever, fever vaccination programme for them because the golden lion tamarins have de actually decreased recently in the wild because of uh, yellow fever. Um, and we've got um, other projects. We're looking at supporting fishing cat maybe this year as well. And of course, let's not forget Manx Wildlife Trust Last year we sponsored um, and helped with the Shearwater project and we'll probably be doing the same again. So we'll be doing some conservation on island but also some conservation with the species that we breed in captivity. So <clears throat> we're really proud. We're proud of the people of the Isle of Man as well to have supported the park so well to the point where we can actually increase the amount of conservation work. And let's not forget that this pandemic has started because of man's interference really into wild animals and it's often when we disrupt nature too much we're going to get more of these pandemics so I think it's really important that we step up the conservation work and protect the wild areas and give animals a place and a home you know on the planet and not flatten everything so it's really good that people can come to this park they can truly enjoy and connect to the animals here and know that they're actually helping those animals in the wild as well. And you say that there is an abundance of animals, Kathleen. The uh, like you just mentioned there, the uh, the golden lion tamarind. He just looks absolutely stunning, and so many people share their photographs on Facebook and social media channels. But there's so many great animals, and the lemurs. How are they settling in now after the terrible fire a few years ago? 
Oh yeah, our gentle lemurs are doing really well. The uh, phoenix uh, was the baby who was born just after that fire, but they've settled down. Um, the, the parents are quite old now, so we haven't had any more uh, babies from the gentle lemurs. But I think they're they've probably decided themselves <laughs> that they're not they're not breeding anymore. Um, and yeah, our golden lion tamarins you were talking about, they're getting a little braver. It's taking them a long time, but they come out of that corner a little bit more, and we're, we're going to try and uh, tempt them outside this year. <laughs> that would be nice. But there's lots to see and do. And away from the animals, I see that the bouncy pillow's back in full flow again and re ready for the children to come back. Yeah, well, it needs replaced every eight years or so. So we, we've got, we were going to replace it in the winter of 2020 oh, um, no. but of course we couldn't there's there's only one company in the whole UK that does them and so we couldn't bring them across um, but we we've now had to bite the bullet and get them just before the school holidays so we might have the jumping pillow out of action but we're hoping it will be fully in action and it will be a brand new uh, look jumping pillow oh, wow. for the school holidays <laughs> so fingers crossed if the borders do completely open we're able to get them in and get the pillow replaced but yeah it's got a big big sticky patch on it at the moment <laughs> so tell your kids not to pick that patch off until we can get it replaced and you still have the, the cafe and the miniature railway, all things to add to a great place. Yeah, the Mangrove Cafe, Tim and Rachel have done really well there. Um, bless them, they started uh, as new tenants in the cafe for about two weeks and then we had a lockdown. Oh, and then we were gosh. open for the summer, then they've had a lockdown. So oh, no. they've had a lot of disruption to, to their business, but they've really given a, a refresh uh, and uh, it's a really pleasant uh, place to go and, and eat while you're sitting out there looking at the flamingos on the lake. Yeah, you just can't beat the outdoors and especially when it's weather like this and let's hope this continues after quite a cold spring. But volunteers can still get involved, Kathleen. Yeah, um, the supporters uh, charity, they've been working quite hard on um, revamping the nature trail. That's due to be open in June, so it's a new look nature trail with some interactive um, interpretation on there. So there's kid-friendly stuff, but there's also boards that are aimed more at you know, adults, you know, if you want to read to that high, slightly higher level. Um, so it's good for all the family. So they, they've been busy on that. So there's the supporters, you can, you can join them or get in touch with them if you want to do a kind of corporate make a difference day. Um, there's also our discovery team volunteers, as we call them. Liz, the education manager, manages them, and they do things like man the lemur walk-in. So um, we're always open to more people who, who can come and kind of help do this discovery shed or... Um, you know, if, if you're very good at presentation, you might you might be able to do some of the, the public feed talks. But, yeah, there's there's always lots of ways to get involved. And talking about the public feed talks and all the rest of it, there's still opportunities for to, to see the animals being fed and, and to actually go in and interact with them. Yeah, I mean, we, we um, do the feed talks. We have maybe a presentation, say, in the Rainforest Theatre where we'll bring out bugs, um, maybe sometimes one reptile. The volunteer will bring out one, one reptile at a time. Um, so yeah, you, you can do that, and the lemur walk-in's great when we've got that open. Uh, just being able to hang out with the lemurs, oh. <laughs> I think I think that's the most popular volunteer. And are they getting role. used to people now? Yeah, I mean we train the people to stay on the path, and that's why the volunteer needs to be there. So as long as people are trained to stay on the path and not feed the lemurs and respect that it's their home the lemurs then become really relaxed about people being there because they know they're not going to step off the path so it's then on the lemurs terms whether they want to come up to visitors or not 
Um, so that works really well. Absolutely. And a firm favourite in our household is the meerkats. Just those little inquisitive things. Oh, just fantastic animals. They're always busy, the meerkats. You can guarantee they'll be out and about, scurrying about, watching for birds of prey in the sky, uh, looking for insects in the sand. So we've got a group of 12 down there now. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're always a, a favourite, I think, for a lot of people. So any more future plans, uh, Kathleen? I know you've got your work cut out as it is, and it's looking wonderful. Yeah, we're, we're working on Rock Hyrax as the next uh, new exhibit. Um, I'll say coming soon because you never know how long <laughs> things are going to take. Um, but yeah, there, there's the bigger plans as well. You know, we we need to do a new education centre at some point, things like that. But um, I, I've I've been here nine years now. I can't believe it's that Goodness long. Wow, that's by. And I still say maybe about 5% achieved of what we, we potentially could achieve here. But um, we can't achieve that without the, the fabulous staff we've got here and volunteers and all the other support from, from around government and, and all, all over the place, yeah. So it's, it's, it's just great to have the community involved. So now this is it, open for the summer? Yes, seven days a week, 9.30 till five o'clock. Last admission's four o'clock. Um, we're hoping to put on a bit of a fun day during the TT holidays and we'll be able to do the summer fun days again. Um, so membership's really yes, worth yes. it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's it's business as usual. The only thing that we weren't able to, to do this year was the Wild Academy summer school because that takes an awful lot of planning and we need to get the staff back in about Easter time. And we just didn't know where we would be with that or... Um, so uh, summer school will have to wait till 2022 to return. But apart from that, fingers crossed, yep. <laughs> it's, it's all back to business what, as normal. Yeah, business as usual this summer. That was Kathleen Graham, the general manager of Couric's Wildlife Park. Uh, seems seem fairly happy there, though. Really mm. lovely, lovely job done of that park this last few years and uh, everything bursting with colour and the animals so happy to come and visit and they come up to the fences and... Yeah, really great job her and her team have done. Like she says, uh, very grateful of all of the help and the volunteers there to make it such an attraction. And the little miniature railway, that's always special. It is. You're listening to Countryside here on Manx Radio with Kiri Kermode and myself, Simon Clark. Well, this time of year, flowers budding around the countryside of the Isle of Man. And especially the bluebells, and one no better to talk to about them is John Dog Collister. Plenty of colour out in the Manx countryside at the moment. Oh, I, um, the primroses are just finished, um, but the bluebells are mighty. There's, there's, uh, you see little clumps. I'm sure there's bluebells growing where I never knew there were bluebells growing, if you know what I mean. Yes, they're wonderful. Yeah, I've um, always been, I suppose coming in up and down Thalty Will Glen yeah. and you, you see on a lot the, of them there but the you don't get a lot of time do you to see them no uh, on the brew there um, Miller chap put some big stones in and they're up on the bank up on the top of there it's it's mighty mighty sight uh, when they're all out Glavuk is the Manx name for a bluebell and that's pig glue and if you ever pick one and break it there's like it oozes like a, a gooey substance, so glaive up pig glue yeah. is the, the Manx name for them. You would think a beautiful flower that like that would have a lovely name, wouldn't you? 
But when you look across that valley when they're in full flight, in the contrast with the green, it's yeah. just a sight oh, to behold. It, it is, yeah. It, uh, it's, it's worth going out of your way to, to go along there, just have a skeet at them. The primroses, I mentioned, the primroses along the switchback were unbelievable this year. At the start, over near Poor Town, they were all on the bank there, the hedge banks, and they were fantastic. And then when you get to the other end, there's a clump of trees and they're up in them trees. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, are they uh, sort of declining where they are? I remember when we were kids, or is it just that we go different places now? Well, uh, the, I think that they're, they're still in good numbers there. Uh, you get good years and bad years. I, I wouldn't know what causes the good years and bad years, but... Uh, but they, they were, it was a good year this year. It was worth, I used to go again, as I say, out of my way. If I was going to St. John's, I'd normally go along the TT course reverse into St. John's, but I would go through to the, to the switchback and go along the switchback just to look at them. What's, uh, what's next to flower out in the Manx countryside? Uh, there'll be Rose Bay Willow Herb coming shortly. Uh, that's like a big, tall pink thing. And uh, that, that grows, uh, it it used to grow, we haven't got railway lines like we used to, but it used to grow on the railway lines. And the, the, the seeds are airborne, like little dandelion clocks. And uh, the story was that the, the trains would, uh, when they had uh, the, the steam train, there would be fires to be throwing stuff out now and again. There'd be fires, so you'd have bare ground and the Rose Bay Willow Herb would be, it's a good invader. And it would land there and it would be there in, in profusion. And then the train would come past and all the seeds would be dragged along with the suck of the train and spread along. And I, I read a story somewhere that it wasn't a particularly uh, prolific plant until the railways arrived. And for some reason, they, it got onto the railway lines and then it spread like bilio. And it's it's all over the place now. It's a great big tall pink thing. They have like... Um, can you describe it like a hollyhock, but a smaller version of the hollyhock, but individual pink flowers, wonderful. Good. A couple of weeks ago, you uh, had the, the slideshow out on display. How yes. did that go? It went well. It went mighty. Um, I'm doing another one for Culture Vannon. My daughter Jo is involved, and uh, she's very technical-minded. And um, But I did it in Peel, um, and uh, it it went well. It I was concentrating on the Manx names because I think they're they're wonderful. I'm not a Manx speaker. Got a lot of words, not a lot of conversation, but I'm I'm interested in the Manx names. And there's some wonderful names. And you think, how is that? Uh, tree, boo gone, brown cow. Where where does that come from? <laughs> yeah, cowslip is meal bear, um, cows, lip. Yeah. I always thought it'd be cow slip, yeah. but it's not. It's cows, lip. Is the is the translation of the Manx name for it? But they all have names. Don't well, they? they'll all have. Yeah, yeah. There'll be Manx names for all of them. Some of them are are like uh, you would. I would. Some people may say corruptions or, or what the English name is translated into Manx. But I like to think that the Manx had the name first, and the English come along and asked what it was. And when we told them, they they called it that. They translated it into English, and they called it the. That was the English name they give it. Well, you can't you can't speak a sort of posh English using a Manx accent very well, can you? No, no. Uh, but there's 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 it's as I say, the Manx names are, are there's some great names and 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 thoughts how people you know got that idea for the for the flower and one thing um 
obviously we've spoke about it in the past when we been talking to you during uh, or slightly after the COVID uh, happened last year yeah. uh, about people's uh, perception of the country. So like a lot more people, I think, you see out walking because they've, yeah. they've discovered it. Yes, that there's a lot of... Uh, people saying that oh lots of people out and about these days and i think people change their ideas they weren't allowed to go here there and everywhere so they walk where they lived which they were allowed to and the isle of man we've been very lucky as you know in comparison to to across and people would get out and then a lot of them would be out in families and then the children i know as a, a child i would i would say what's that dad and what's that dad and and that got me interested uh and then if if he didn't know, I'd find somebody who did, you know, and I would, and that's, people say, how do you know all these names? Interested and ask questions. No Google then? No Google, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, he would talk to some old fella and he would say, and then he, you, like George Quayle was a, an unbelievable person, what a shame. You know, people like that should be kept and, and uh, kept going. But he had all sorts of stories and I must admit, I'm passing them on. I'm keeping that going. Uh, uh, I'm not trying to trying to take any credit for this. I'm, it's George Quayle's stories, and who he got them from, I don't know. And we just keep these stories going and letting people know, and and little, you know, funny little quirks, and and it's it's wonderful. Yeah, and that's what happens on on the walks that yeah. a, a lot of people do, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's all right saying, oh, there's a, an elm tree yeah. or a or a primrose. Yeah. When when you've got a bit of story behind it, it makes it the walk far more interesting. It does, it? yeah. Um, you know, the tramon is, is like sacred in the Isle of Man, and there's a, a little fungus that grows on that called, uh, in English they call them the Jews' ear fungus. In Manx they're called fairy lugs, fairy ears. And they just look like a little lug. And uh, so you're out and about and you say, oh, there's a tramon, that's the elder, that's our you know, the fairy tree, and you're not allowed to break a branch and all sorts. And I'll point out to people, I said, you see, they're, they're called fairy lugs. And the story is that the fairies were inquisitive, so they left their ears above ground so they could hear what was happening. <laughs> and you get, you know, children groups. I've had school children out, and, and you tell them that story, and you and you show them one. The other thing is, sometimes you get a, a one that's all dried up. And I've gone to schools and did talks, and I've brought one of these dried up things with me and that they're holding it as old kind of thing and you put that in a glass of water for about five minutes and take it out it's all floppy just like a lug again <laughs> good another george see george quail told me that and and so i'm I'm just keeping george's story going john dog collister there telling us about the wildflowers and also mentioned uh what well just missed it actually uh we was talking about the hawthorn uh, been out as well so uh, yeah it's a great time for the countryside with the flowers and stuff and it smells so good too doesn't yeah. it it but, really yeah. is the colours there just just now with just the, the blues and the pink and the campions coming out on the roadsides and it just feels like summer's on its way doesn't it yes and just be careful where you park if you're looking at them as well uh, one thing also um, that he mentioned I went up in one of these the dog loft he calls it and there was thousands of pair of spectacles that he's collecting uh, to send uh, to various countries you know there's um, the yellow bags are at ShopRite stores, I think. You can just pop an old pair of reading glasses or any types of glasses in. And uh, he's collecting them and sending them away, so another good deed done. That's it all we've got time for, though, on this week's Countryside. We're back next Tuesday with more. So until then, from me, Simon Clark. And me, Kiri Kermode. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.